All right. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're continuing on in our uh, Healthy Church series as we look at the pastoral epistles. Um, and today is one of those texts that I love doing. We're looking at one verse. We're looking at one verse of Scripture and we want to break it down as we start looking at through the text of Scripture what elders are. Uh, we're, we're now in this long portion of Scripture where Paul is telling the church of Ephesus, he's telling Timothy here about elders. Now, elders are pastors, overseers, shepherds, bishops, whatever you want to use throughout the text of Scripture, those, those names and titles are used interchangeably. So to give you a little bit of an illustration, I am an elder at Red Cross Baptist Church. Because I'm the pastor here. Leto is an elder at Red Cross Baptist Church because he is the associate pastor here. And so those are what elders are. And so when we look at the qualifications for overseers, elders, or pastors here in 1 Timothy 3, we're looking at that. But this morning, I just want to touch on verse 1 with the title of my sermon this morning being Honorable Elders in a Healthy Church. Now this is part one because we're going to break down all the qualifications of elders, and it's going to spill over into the qualifications for deacons as we look at what honorable elders look like. So, 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. If you're there, say word. word. Fantastic. Go ahead and stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's word. You don't have to stand long because, again, it is one verse. And here's what it says. This is Paul. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Let's pray. Father God, help me this morning. God, use me as you see fit. Give me the words to say and help us to apply this text to our lives. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. After resigning his pastorate to go and lead another church, a pastor was approached by an older church member of the congregation. And she was weeping over the pastor's decision to lead. She walks up to the pastor, her hands trembling, grabs his hand, and she tells him, looks him in the eyes, and she says, things are never going to be the same here. The pastor tried to console her by saying, well, don't worry, don't worry. I've been praying about this. I'm confident that you're going to get a new pastor in this church who's going to be able to lead this church better than I can. She continued to weep and sob, and she looks at him and she says, that's exactly what the last three pastors have said, but they just keep getting worse. Church, pastors are called to be honorable and are called to lead their church in a way that is to be selfless and sacrificial. 
The office of pastor, the office of elder, is an important and vital ministry to a church. It's, it is detrimental to a church's health that the elders of the church be godly men. That as they lead, they're going to lead in a way that will help the church grow and flourish, but not because of any skill that the elders and pastors carry, but because through God's grace that is equipping and qualifying these men to lead the church. Now, now this is as I, I, this is what I've been hoping for us to get to as we go through the pastoral epistles. We're getting into what is known as ecclesiology, which is we're getting into the doctrine of the church. What the Bible shows us that the church should operate as. In fact, I'm going to say it again. This is why Paul writes Timothy. He says in chapter 3, verse 15, he says, If I delay, I write these things that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Paul's writing this letter to show the church how to act, how to behave, how to have order, how to, how to be a healthy church. And, 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 and I gotta say, and I've shared with this, with, with this several times, I'm one of the few pastors who gets to brag about their church. I get to tell people that our church is in a very, it, we're in a much healthier state now than we were a few years back. And we're just getting healthier. And that's one reason why we wanted to go through the pastoral epistles is we want to look at what a healthy church looks like. But in order for us to have a healthy church, we need to have honorable elders. And that's my main idea for you this morning. It's this. A healthy church needs honorable elders who lead like Jesus. A healthy church needs honorable elders who lead like Jesus. Church, your pastors are called to be godly, Christ-centered men. I heard, or I read one guy, I don't remember the name, but it's not me. But I read one guy saying that, that a pastor is to preach exemplary things, but much more so is to be an example of those exemplary things. That a pastor who preaches high things, who, who is preaching God's word, who is, who, who is showing you the truth of what God's word is, he needs to practice what he preaches. They are to be honorable. I mean, we see one of the first qualifications in verse 2 is, Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. He must be an honorable man. He must be looked up to as an example, as a mentor. He must practice what he preaches. So a healthy church needs honorable elders who lead like Jesus. Christ came into the world to build his church. So church leadership is at the core of New Testament teaching of the church. And we see throughout the New Testament, Paul is typically writing the churches of how they need to be acting. 
a lot, the majority of Paul's letters to churches are, hey, you're, you're acting pretty dumb right now. Like you need to straighten up and here's how. And so here we are being told that we need to have honorable elders who lead the church. Church, the leadership is at that core. And so here in a Baptist church, we believe that there are two offices of the church. There are elders, pastors, overseers, however you want to say it in the text. I'm going to, I'm going to refer to pastors in this sermon as elders. Okay. Cause I want you to become familiar with that word. We have the office of elder and then we have the office of deacon. But what is first? Elder. But too often, too often in churches, you see this board of deacons that tends to sit higher than the pastor elder. And that's unbiblical. It's unhealthy. That is not how the church is to be ordered. That's not how the governmental structure of the church is. The elders, the pastors, they lead. And the deacons, they serve. It's not the deacons that tell the pastor what to do. It's the pastors that tell the deacons what to do. I don't know. Some of you are probably like, boy. But understand that that is biblically. Not today, Satan. <laughs> All right. We ready to get back? <laughs> All right. We need to. A wasp is like, I don't like what you're, what you're preaching right now. Um, elders lead, deacons follow. Okay, and that's the governmental structure. That's that that, that all throughout the new the New Testament. We see Paul telling. The elders to lead, the elders to make the decisions. Now, yes, deacons make certain decisions, but not all of them. The pastors, the elders handle the spiritual business of the church. So, before I bury myself, let's go ahead and move on. The church at Ephesus has had solid quality leadership. First off, we got to remember the church at Ephesus was founded by Paul. Paul served there for three years, leading and teaching training up men to be elders. We saw at the end of Acts, in our Acts series, we saw where Paul spoke to these elders and he even warns them, I believe it was Acts 20, Paul warns them and says, there are going to be elders in your church that come up and they're going to be false teachers. There will be false teachers in your church. He he foresaw that entrance. And now we see Timothy or, or Paul is charging Timothy You've got false teachers and you need to fix this. At the heart of the issue is the reestablishment of godly, Christ-centered leadership. So that's what we're looking at this morning. So I got three things for you. I want to look at the seriousness of ministry, the calling to ministry, and the task of ministry. That's what we can see in the first verse. First, we see the seriousness of of ministry. That's number one for you. The seriousness of ministry. Paul says the saying is 
trustworthy. This is the second time in the pastoral epistles that Paul has said this. What this statement means is that it is a self-evident truth that doesn't need proof. It's common sense. It's true. It's not something that has to be refuted. Paul is saying this is a trustworthy statement. It's important. And we see that what he is saying is serious. Church, understand that ministry is not something that is to be entered into lightly. Too often we get we get guys all across the world who say, I've got an itch to preach. I'm going to be a pastor. And then too often we get churches that say, hey, he's itching to preach. Let's make him a pastor. But just because you have that desire to preach does not mean you're called to be a preacher. It doesn't mean you're called to be a pastor. It's not something that is entered into lightly. Here in Paul's day, in the Bible's time, ministry was not something to be entered into to make money. Because a lot of people in the church had no money. They had no money. That's why they shared everything. They had no money. There was no prestige in the, in, in being a pastor. Society did not look at you as a pastor or in ministry as being a respectable position. In fact, they saw the church as, as, as trash, basically. Outcasts. And, and, and you're the leader of that outcast group. And even in Paul's day, the church was persecuted to the point to where even the elders and pastors were the first of the people to be martyred for their faith. It's not a ministry to be entered into lightly. It's not. It's a serious endeavor. It's a serious calling. Nowadays, people into... People enter into ministry for the money. I don't see it. Because if you preach truly what God's word says, you're not going to get paid much for it. If you preach what the people want to hear, you're going to get paid for it. Look on TV. But it's not what God's word says. You people enter into ministry for fame and popularity. Not if you truly preach what God's word says. Society is not really going to like you, especially today. A lot of the world disagrees with what I believe about scripture, with what we believe about scripture. There is no fame and popularity in ministry. There is no money in ministry. Ministry is a serious calling that we are not called to enter into lightly. I had a desire for ministry when I was six years old. I don't know why. I got saved at the age of six. I got baptized. And all I wanted to do since then was preach. You can ask my dad. There was one night. I remember this conversation and I've shared this with you. One night I walked into the living room. My dad was watching TV and I asked him, I said, Dad, I said, I I think I want to be a pastor. I think I think I want to be a preacher. And my dad, who has helped me 
as a young man to look at all situations and look at all, you know, everything around it to examine it. And he first thing out of his mouth was, well, son, you know, they don't make a lot of money. Okay, well, maybe I don't want to be a preacher then. I think I'll be a vet. Because I loved animals. Well, well, son, you, you know you're going to have to put some animals to sleep. Okay, well, maybe not that. I, I'll be a doctor. I want to make money. Well, son, you're going to be in school for about 10 or 15 years. Okay, well, I guess I'll be a pastor then. And guess what? I've been in school for about 10 or 15 years, and I'm, a, I'm still a pastor. But it's a calling that I wrestled with my entire life. It's a serious endeavor. I think it was John Knox that once said that once said that he doesn't he doesn't fear much, but he trembles every time he walks into the pulpit. And the reason why is, is when we open up God's word and we profess to you the truth of the truths of God's word, we are going to be held much more accountable for this. I'm going to have to stand before God as a messenger of God. And I will be judged differently than you. Because I've accepted this call in the ministry. Hebrews 13, 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And church, this is why church membership is so important. We shared, we shared last week or a couple weeks back, we've got around 350 names on our church membership. But actively, we have around 120 to 150, including shut-ins. To our church, I'm held accountable for all 350 of those names. And we don't know where half of them are. I'm held accountable for that. So the best thing you can do is help me find those people, which is what we're doing. So church, we must see the seriousness of ministry. Paul's telling us the saying this is trustworthy. This is not something to be taken lightly. Why? Why is this so serious? Church, we have souls Hanging in the balance. This isn't about teaching you just for knowledge. This is about proclaiming the gospel. Seeing people come from death to life to be saved. And then not only that, but us keeping watch over your souls. That's why church discipline is important. That's why accountability is important. We don't do it because we're trying to police you. We're doing it because if you are living in sin, you're not showing any fruit of being saved. So we're keeping watch over you and we are going to be held accountable to it. I used to, I used to work at Zaxby's in Albemarle and, 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 and I was in the running for being kitchen manager over there. And as I was cleaning and cooking, one of the managers would follow behind me and would make sure that I'm doing a good job because they were looking at me. 
You know, so I was, I was, you know, handling the food and, 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 and working and all that kind of stuff to where I am having to give an account for my job, my business, what I'm doing to the next guy, to a manager. But let me tell you, no matter how terrifying that manager was, he could, he does not compare to God who I'm going to give an account to of how I pastor and lead this church. So if you're called to pastoral ministry, you take it seriously. In church, you take very seriously who you bring in to be your pastor. I pray to God we don't have to worry about it for another 45 years. But for right now, if anything were to happen to me, whoever the next guy is, you take it seriously who that man is. Not only do we see the serious of ministry, number two, we see the calling to ministry here. See the calling to ministry. Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, if anyone aspires to it, a lot of us in here want to aspire to something. Maybe it's a a promotion at work or maybe it's a future position. We're working our way to that. But the first thing that we see with ministry is it is something to aspire to, that we are to to actually want it. We're to want this. There are three things that I believe happens for a calling to ministry. First, if you want to write this down, first is an inward call of God. An inward call of God. You feel this tug that this is what I'm called to do. You feel this pull to it. This is, there is nothing else that, 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 for me at least, for me as a call to ministry, there was nothing else that I could think of doing. Nothing. That's why if this doesn't work out, I have no clue what I'm going to do. I might go back to Zaxby's. I don't, I don't know how to do anything else. Everything else I do, I'd look up on YouTube how to fix stuff. Chris Hyatt, you'll hire me, right? The mow grass with you if things don't work out. There's, there's, there's nothing else. There's this inward call. Secondly, not only is there an inward call, there's an insatiable conviction. To serve. There's a, there's an inward call of God which leads to an insatiable conviction to serve. As in, nothing else makes me more happy, gives me more joy than serving God through the preaching and teaching of His Word. Martin Lloyd Jones, one of my favorite preachers. This dude, I mean, like, his church would move the move the pulpit out of the way for drama and stuff. And he got so fed up with it one time, he took the pulpit to the center right here and he bolted it to the floor. He's like, we're not moving this again. Preaching of the word is primary. This dude, Martin Lloyd-Jones, we need more Martin Lloyd-Jones of the day. We really do. But he said one time, he said, a man should only enter the Christian ministry if he cannot stay out of it. A man should only enter it if he can't stay out of it. Church, 
For a man that is called to be an elder, there's an insatiable conviction there. Nothing else makes me, nothing else gives me more joy. When I started asking other brothers about going into the ministry, they told me, if you can do anything else, do it. If you have a desire to do anything else, do it. Because ministry is such a heavy calling, it has to be an insatiable conviction to serve. And for me, there's nothing else I want to do. I get to preach God's word to you. This past week was not a, was not an easy week. There's just so many things that went on this past week. I mean, so many things that happened with our family, that happened in our extended family, that, 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 that we've been having to deal with just, just so much. I mean, my wife and I, we, we, I mean, like, I think it was yesterday, we really just sat down and we're like, can we really pinpoint any time this week where it was actually a good week? But the thing is, is there are struggles that come into our lives. There are struggles that come into ministry to where when I look at preaching, I look at that as the reward of what I get to do for pastoring a, a church. Because sometimes it's hard to come up here. I'm just going to be completely transparent with you. Sometimes for pastors, it's hard for them to come up and preach because of weeks like this. But we see this as the reward for having to deal with other stuff within our, our lives. The enemy wants to rob the elders and pastors of their joy of ministry. And they will do anything and everything they can to do it. Church elders are called to have an insatiable conviction to serve. And thirdly, so first, an inward call of God. Second, an insatiable conviction to serve. Thirdly, they're to have an irrefutable character of the man. The elders to have an irrefutable character. And we see that in verses 2 through 7. There are these qualifications that these elders are to have. They're to be honorable men. Men who have a character like Christ. Men who practice what they preach. Men who, as they are above reproach, you cannot find any reason at all that they should not be a pastor. That they should not be an elder. They need to have an irrefutable character. Because church, when serving as an elder, as a pastor... There are sacrifices we have to make. Not only are pastors and, and elders having to die to themselves daily for the sake of the gospel, they're having to die to themselves daily for the sake of ministry. Because there are some times when I've got to leave the comfort of my family, the enjoyment of, of, of my family, the time with my family, to handle church situations. There are times where I have to make sacrifices. For some of you, you can go on vacation and you ain't got to worry about your job one bit. You can cut your phone off and everything's fine. Nobody's going to call you. Nobody's going to bring something to you about your job. But for us pastors... 
Even when we go on vacation, church is on our mind. You are on our mind. At nighttime, when most of you can shut your brain off and have your eight to five job and go to bed and rest, for us, we're carrying the burdens of you. We're thinking about you. We're praying for you. Sunday's coming. I'm trying to figure out what I, what I got to preach. For ministry, this, this, this calling that is a important and serious calling is one that is demanding. So let's look thirdly, not just at the calling to ministry, but let's look at the task of ministry. Paul says this. He says, if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. A noble task. One author shares a story. He said this. He said, the wife of a close pastor friend of ours enjoys telling how she awoke one night to find her husband asleep on his elbows and knees at the foot of the bed. His arms were cupped before him as if he were embracing the base of a tree. He's sleeping at the corner of the bed. This would terrify me if I woke up and saw Tara doing this. Terrify me. But he, but he was muttering something. And so his wife looks at him and she's like, George, what on earth are you doing? And he answered, he, he said, shh. He's, he's still sleeping. He says, I'm holding a pyramid of marbles together. And if I move, it's going to tumble down. What the author says is that this is a classic pastor's dream. First, because it was the subconscious revelation of a pressured person. And second, because the pyramid of marbles is an apt metaphor for a pastor's work. It's very true. Very true. There was one pastor who was so pressured in his ministry and was so busy that one night he was preaching a sermon and his wife wakes up and starts writing the sermon down for him as he's preaching it. Whether or not he ended up preaching that sermon, I don't know. Because the stuff I say in my sleep are probably not true. Especially if you eat a bowl of brownie batter core ice cream from Ben and Jerry's before bed. You never know what you're going to get when you sleep there. But when we look at the task of ministry first, we see that it's a responsible task. It's a responsible task. We already mentioned Hebrews 13, 17, where it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. But James 3.1 also says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Church, the call to ministry, the task of ministry, it's a responsible task. It's a task that we cannot take lightly, that we are to take seriously. Because as we preach, as we pastor... We are to be people of the word and of prayer. It's a, it's a responsible task. And secondly, not only is it a responsible task, it's a demanding task. 
It's so demanding. It really is. Now, I'm not up here complaining. I'm just trying to explain to you how serious and how real and how hard ministry can be. I mentioned earlier, some of you have an eight to five job, nine to five job, however you want to put it. Some of you have a two to 12 job. Some of you have to wake up early in the morning. But for pastors, we don't ever stop. I can, I can be in, in the office from eight to 12 working on a sermon, visiting church members from 12 to three. And then from three to five, I'm probably studying for something for seminary or for something that I'm preaching on and then go home at five and have dinner. But then at six o'clock, I get a phone call and I got to go to a church member's house or there's a death and I need to go be with some people or there's a problem and I need to go handle it. There's no, I'm sorry, I'm off the clock. Click. We go. It's, it's demanding. But it's not just demanding on time. Man, it is demanding on our souls. You know why? Again, your elders are carrying the burden that you carry. There's something Something weird about how God makes that work. It's very spiritual that when the, when the pastors and elders are leading the church and there are people in the church who are hurting and in pain and are struggling, whether it's with sin or trials or, or maybe a job loss or loss of a family member or just whatever, if, whatever the circumstance, the pastors and elders are carrying that burden with you. We do. And that's part of our calling. That's part of that. That's what ministry is. Matt Chandler, one of my favorite pastors at the Villas Church in Texas, was sitting down with another one of my favorite pastors, Mark Dever from Washington, D.C. And they were having dinner one night and Dever asked Chandler, he says, hey, man, so how's church going? And Matt Chandler says, man, if we weren't dealing with this if we weren't dealing with this circumstance in this family or if we weren't struggling in this area or anything like that. Ministry would be going great. Endeavor, who, man, if I can be like any pastor, I want to be like Mark Dever. Dever looks at Chandler and Dever says, man, that, that's ministry. Dealing with circumstances. Being with people who are hurting. Mourning with people who are mourning. Praying with people who are struggling. Counseling people who need guidance and wisdom. Preparing sermons and preaching. Leading, making decisions, hard decisions. And if COVID showed us anything, COVID showed us that no matter what decision a pastor made, people weren't happy about it. It's a demanding task. And it weighs on us. For the past two years... Anxiety and depression has risen dramatically across the world, but especially in pastors and elders. The pastors and elders are resigning at alarming rates across the board. They're leaving churches and they're leaving the ministry altogether. Past two years have showed us that The weight of ministry is heavy. 
It's a demanding task. So what what are you supposed to do about that? What can you as members do about that? Pray for us. We really pray for us. But secondly, there's something else that I believe biblically helps out with this. And I believe this brings up a good argument for a plurality of elders. Whenever we look at Scripture, we're, we do not see a New Testament church with a single elder model. When we look at Scripture, the New Testament church has a plurality of elders, a council, a board of elders, a, a board, a council of pastors in the church who lead the church. 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul tells Timothy, Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy, when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Philippians 1, Paul's letter to the church, the single church at Philippi, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, plural, and deacons. Titus 1.5, Paul tells Titus, and we're going to get there eventually. Paul says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. 1 Peter 5.1-2, Peter says, I exhort the elders, plural, among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Let me ask this question. I asked this a couple Wednesday nights as we were looking at the doctrine of the church through our Baptist faith and message. Where do we get the idea in Scripture that we need multiple deacons? There's nowhere in Scripture that clearly states the amount of deacons that a church is to have. But yet churches have multiple deacons so that they can share in serving the church. And anytime we see deacons in Scripture, it's plural to the deacons, as we saw in Philippians 1. So let me ask the same question, but with a different subject. Where do we get the idea in Scripture that churches are led by a single elder? Because just like deacons, they're plural. Churches are not led, especially historically. This really just happened around the 1850s, maybe late 1800s, early 1900s. This single pastor, single elder model. Biblically, churches were led by a plurality of elders, multiple pastors. Why? To share the burden of ministry. We wonder why pastors are resigning. We wonder why pastors are leaving the ministry. We wonder why pastors don't stay long at churches. It's because they get burnt out and overworked, worn out and tired. Not just because times get hard, but they're carrying the burden of every single individual in the church. The New Testament argues for a plurality of pastors in the church. 
just as it argues for a plurality of deacons. You've got two elders in this church now. You've got me and you've got Pastor Leto. And Pastor Leto does a fantastic job. I know I joked earlier about firing him. Y'all do realize that if we fire Leto, I'm probably going to go too because I don't know how I'm going to do ministry without Leto. He is my right-hand man. He has helped me tremendously in this church. If it wasn't for Leto over the past two years, I don't know what would have happened. I need to quit building you up because I'm making me look bad. But I'm thankful for him. You've got two elders here at this church. But I want to be transparent with you. My desire is to see more. My desire is to see a church raise up more godly men to be elders in the church. To lead. To lead. Because if you're just relying on me to be the only elder at this church to lead, I can tell you right now, this church is not going to go far. (laughs) A church is only going to go as far as the elders can go. So goes the elders, or as the elders go, so goes the church. So to have a plurality of elders is a healthy aspect of church ministry. So church, let me tell you, a healthy church needs honorable elders who lead like Jesus. It is a serious ministry. We lead like Jesus in a sacrificial manner. We lead like Jesus honorably, holy, Christ-like. We lead like Jesus by dying to ourselves daily. Just as Christ gave his life on the cross for people, we as pastors give our lives, our resources, our energy, our time for the church. It's for the church. And there's no greater joy a pastor can have than to give his life for the church. There isn't. Christ did it, and we are called to lead like him. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. So church, may we be a church that is raising godly men in our church to be elders. Whether it's to lead here or to be sent out and lead and pastor other churches. It's what we're called to do. We're not just to be complacent. We talked about this last week. Being a church member is not having your season tickets in your assigned pew and you're able to come whenever you want to and just worship. Being a church member means you're serving and discipling and you're taking part in the ministry of the church. So may we be raising those men to be elders as well. Let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for who you are. We are thankful that you sent your son to die for our sins. And God, I pray that as we, as we have our eyes on Jesus, I pray that our elders do the same. 
that they have their eyes on Christ, that they are leading and loving like Christ, that they are repentant of their sin and they're leading in an honorable way. By recognizing the seriousness of ministry, by answering the call to ministry, and by understanding the task of ministry. God, this is a serious endeavor. And help us as a church to understand that. Help us as a church to understand that there is no greater calling in Scripture than the calling of a pastor. God, I pray that you would help our church to be a people of prayer for our elders, for our pastors. Pray, God, that you would help our church to be a people who love and serve and lead. So, God, I pray that you are raising up men within our church who are aspiring to the office of overseer, aspiring to the office of elder who are desiring the noble task, who are hearing an inward call of God, who have an insatiable conviction to serve, and who have an irrefutable character of themselves, like Christ. So God, as we continue in this text in the next few weeks, as we look at the qualifications of elders, I'd help us as a church to be healthy, Help us to be obedient to your word. Help us to do this right. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.